Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the Fruited Plain. I am delighted to have you with me. The phone number, should you wish to be on the program, 877-973-7425. For those of you who see me on camera, I'm in studio here, but I have this shirt. I love this shirt. It says, uh, lift heavy, drink bourbon. Uh, I, I have found the ultimate workout shirt. I, I thoroughly embrace it. Okay. Um, I, I, by the way, I want you to know I, I've been working on my deadlift. I've gotten up to about 300 pounds. I am impressed with myself. i got to work on my squat, uh, but I've been working on my deadlifts and my squats. I figure at my age I need to, uh, and it makes my feet feel good. Deadlifting, for some reason, I don't know. It makes My, my feet are always sore because uh, i got an issue with my foot uh, and my heel, and deadlifting takes away the pain. So, nonetheless, you don't care. All right. Uh, the phone number, 877-973-7425. Uh, really important, just I, I, I pitch this all the time for you, but if you text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, I'm going to send you back my social media links and stuff like that. But So I am, as soon as the show is over at 3, I'm leaving to go to Las Vegas, and I'm sure I'll be putting up pictures, so you should um, join me. Um, all right. <clears throat> all right. I professionally clear my throat. I want to go down uh, a, a, a path I went down a little bit yesterday. I mentioned uh, the Jason Aldean controversy. Now, his song is about a small town, and what I find really notable about this controversy is that the song came out two months ago. I think the the music video for it, uh, it didn't come out much longer after that. It's now been pulled by CMT, Country Music Television. Uh, they they say it is pro-lynching. Uh, so here's what happened with this controversy, and, and this is woven into another controversy, and I got to tie all of these together because it's very important for you to understand something is going on in culture, and you may not realize that there is this culture war happening on the left against country music. Jason Aldean is not from a small town. He's from Macon, Georgia. I was on city council in Macon, Georgia. Yes, I used to be an elected official. Worst job I ever had. But I was on the city council there. It's not a small town, although it feels like a small town. Most everybody knows everybody. When you get down to South Macon, uh, the Rutland area, that is kind of small-town America, and, and everybody knows everybody. Uh, everybody's kind of related. I grew up in a small town when I wasn't in Dubai. I, I, I get the vibe from a song that uh, there are things you get away with in the city you can't in a small town. Uh, the, the, the videos he shows are real videos of, of white Antifa people trying to firebomb places. They're upset, by the way, that he apparently uh, stood in front of a courthouse where there was a lynching in the 1920s. The courthouse happens to be uh, the closest courthouse to where he lives. He didn't go far to film it. Uh, it's been a courthouse. I think a, an episode of Hannah Montana was filmed there as well. People want to be angry. The left wants to be angry. They don't like that Jason Aldean is out there making music they don't even listen to. You know, I, as a conservative, have to put up with crap from every like celebrity that I know. I actually know some pretty famous people out in Hollywood, and I'm not even allowed to mention them on radio because it would cause them all sorts of harm to know for their progressive fans to know they were friends with me. It's remarkable to me how... The right, we got to put up with progressive act 
actors and actresses and singers and songwriters. I love Pearl Jam. I love Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam is my favorite band. Eddie Vedder is far left, Planned Parenthood, acolyte, um, supporter of abortion and every left-wing cause. And I love his music. And it doesn't offend me. I met him once when I was with uh, Bill Maher for HBO uh, for Real Time one time. He's a nice guy. We disagree on everything. It does not offend me to listen to his music, however. I like his music. I recognize his talent. I don't care about his politics. But on the left, they care very greatly about the politics of Jason Aldean, someone they've never met in music they don't listen to because they want everything in culture to conform to them. And it's all part of a cause coming after country music. Now, I've got very eclectic music tastes, really eclectic music tastes. I love Beethoven and Pearl Jam and uh, some bands I probably should not admit that I like listening to. But I, I have, in fact, you can on, if you follow me on Apple Music at E.W. Erickson, I have my playlist posted, and it's there. I don't use Spotify, frankly. Uh, occasionally I do. But I keep, a, I, I keep a playlist up of what I'm currently listening to, and it is surprisingly called uh, Currently Listening To. And I've got uh, Zach Bryan in there. I mentioned him. I, I listened to Zach Bryan. Uh, he's a country music singer. Uh, Sam Fender, Talk, Modern Love, uh, Will Dorado. I love Will Dorado. I've got um, Judah the Lion. I love Noah Kay and I love The National, AJR. Some of you are like, who the hell are these people? L. King is fantastic. The Smashing Pumpkins have come out with new music. Uh, the Head and the Heart is fantastic. A lot of the national in there. Missio, um, Inhaler, um, Mumford's new album, Marcus Mumford. Uh, there's even a Taylor Swift song in there with Bon Iver. Uh, Manchester Orchestra, uh, Michigander, uh, The Glorious Sons. I love The Glorious Sons. I, I've got very eclectic music taste. I got some Eminem in there. I got Pearl Jam in there. Uh, Missio, Coldplay, you name it. Um, I got eclectic music tastes, but I don't listen to a lot of country music. When I was a kid, I did, and I do like old-school country, but it's not really what I listen to a lot. As I've mentioned, Garth Brooks, um, Dolly Parton, uh, the Mandrell sisters. My gosh, when I was five years old, I wanted to marry Barbara Mandrell. <laughs> um, Reba McIntyre is one of my absolute favorites. Country music has always been decidedly on the right. I, I was actually... One time, very oddly, was accidentally placed on an email chain with a with a former President Bush and some celebrities, and it was very funny, and it was a lot of country music people. And someone was replying to something and adding someone, and I got added by mistake, and it was just very funny to see. Um, a lot of country music stars lean to the right. Not all of them, but a lot of them. It's kind of been dominated over time by cultural conservatism. There have been black country music stars, but not a lot. But uh, there's this there's this thing happening right now in popular political culture where a lot of media, and in fact, Apple Music is one of the uh, key uh, institutions being blamed for this. They're trying to turn country music into something else. Now, follow along with me here, because these are all these tangled pieces together. So Emily Yar in the, or Yah in the Washington Post had a story last week. Tracy Chapman's Fast Car is one of those songs that you just feel in your soul. The lyrics about the yearning to escape, the gentle guitar underlying a feeling of despair, but also the hope that something better is coming. It can make you cry, but also inspire you to belt out the lyrics at the top of your lungs. It's one of the great songs out there. 
Luke Combs is a country singer. He's 33 years old. He has included Fast Car, his version of it there. Country radio stations are playing it. The song is suddenly outpacing um, Combs' actual single, Love You Anyway. They were stunned by the response. It's been promoted now. Last week, it reached number one on Billboard Country. It was at number three on the Hot 100 chart after peaking at number two. Now, here's the thing. Let me read you this. To quite a few people, this is cause for yet another celebration in Combs' whirlwind journey as the genre's reigning megastar with 16 consecutive number one hits. But it has also prompted a wave of complicated feelings among some listeners and in the Nashville music community. Although many are thrilled to see Fast Car back in the spotlight and a new generation discovering Tracy Chapman's work, it's clouded by the fact that... <coughs> As a black queer woman, Chapman, 59, would have almost zero chance of that achievement herself in country music. The numbers are blink, bleak. A recent study by data journalist uh, Jan Diem and musicologist Jada Watson reported that fewer than five-tenths of one percent of songs played on country radio in 2022 were by women of color and LGBTQ plus artists plus being the premium version of the Alphabet Gang. Watson's previous work shows that songs by women of color and the Alphabet Gang artists were largely excluded from radio playlists for much of the prior two decades. Now, it's not a surprise that this story comes out. I don't think Tim Carney from the Washington Examiner pointed this out. This story comes out about Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs and how problematic it is that his version of Fast Car is doing so well it comes out the exact same damn time, and I'm not making that up, same time Spotify debuts a country music playlist for uh, blacks and people of the, the LGBTQ plus community. Not making that up. That is the actual playlist. It's intriguing to me that we have that particular issue cropping up. It seems very coordinated. So you have this playlist come out. Let me let me get you, I want to make sure I got it right. Uh, Tim Carney noted this, that the story came out from the Washington Post, and it was time to come out with, yeah, here it is, Black LGBTQIA++ Country on Spotify. At the same time, Apple Music is pushing Reese Witherspoon's new My Country, My Way show and essentially taking people who aren't really country and bringing them into country and trying to diversify country with gay voices and black voices. Now you have the the hate on Jason Aldean and his um, uh, song about small town life and how suddenly it's a, a privilege. This is what's happening here. The cultural elite do not like that you have a genre. The cultural elite do not like the fact that there is a genre of major culture that they do not control. The cultural elite of this country, look at the, the ownership of CMT is in Los Angeles. They're perfectly happy. Take down Jason Aldean's song. Look at what they did to Morgan Wallen across country music stations around the country with a bunch of progressive elite in charge of the radio stations because he was caught on video not using 
using the N-word pejoratively, but using it to a friend as a lot of people do, but who are not white. And so he had to be canceled for it. And his song shot to number one. Aldine's song is shot to number one. These people do not like the fact that there is a culture out there they do not control. And so they're trying to co-opt it. They are trying to change it. They're trying to bring in the black and LGBTQ plus IA, whatever alphabet gang stars. They're trying to elevate this. I just want good music. The problem is that I want good music and I don't care if it's someone gay or straight or black or white or progressive or conservative, but the left really does care. They really care that it's gotta be someone who shares their values or it's some level of impurity. That's why they're mad at Jason Aldean because his wife has hugged Donald Trump. The problem is they know really they can't win because of their own algorithms and streaming services. The good music will find a way within country music, and a lot of it will be authentic to country music and sound like country. They may not play it. They may not put it in their playlists, but it will find a market out there. This is another reason they don't like Sound of Freedom because, you know, Disney passed on pushing it out. They thought they could control all this culture, and suddenly they get these these bits of culture they thought they had in their control, and they don't, and it makes them angry. None of us care when the cultural elite of the left hang out and do stuff as long as they leave our kids out of it, but they care greatly when you and I have a good time and enjoy something culturally that isn't of theirs, and they've got to try to take it over, and they can't hear, so what they're doing is engaging in character assassination and trying to make you feel guilty, whether it's Luke Combs, uh, singing Fast Car, which, by the way, was a huge hit in its time and made Tracy Chapman a lot of money, and she herself said she didn't want people to really dwell on her sexuality. She wanted her professional and her private life separate. That was her decision, and now all these people are so upset. It's their tears, not hers. It's their guilt, not hers. They are guilty people who want you to feel guilty, and they hate like hell. You've got some level of culture that is quintessentially conservative that they don't control. And that's what all of this controversy, all of it is tied together. The cultural elite in Hollywood and in Washington and in Nashville too, don't like it that there's an outlet of music and even film that they don't get to put their claws into and turn woke. Good for you standing firm. Play the songs, enjoy it, and don't feel guilty. Want to be on the show? Hello? Hello? I, I love your show. Call Eric now at 877-973-7425. Join Eric's Army of Activists. Text ARMY to 33777 now. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. I, you know, I, I just while this is in my head... I go back to this piece by Ben Dominich at The Spectator. Uh, he was talking about the, the scene of Donald Trump was at the UFC fight. I mentioned this last week when he wrote it. Donald Trump was at the UFC fight. You know, Mark Wahlberg was there. Guy Fieri was there. A couple of other actors and actresses were there. And they were seen shaking hands with uh, Donald Trump. And progressives were furious, furious. Uh, calls to cancel Guy Fieri, calls to cancel Mark Wahlberg, denunciations of, from other people in Hollywood, much like Sheryl Crow denouncing Jason Aldean and his song. Um, the, the Hollywood elite, the cultural left, they're all upset about this stuff. 
At the same time, Jimmy Kimmel was having a bunch of actors and actresses out at his place in Idaho. My buddy Jake Tapper was there. Uh, a lot of actors and actresses. It was all white, by the way. There was more diversity at the UFC fight than at Jimmy Kimmel's house. Jennifer Aniston, Kristen Bell, uh, a bunch of other people I'd never heard of. They were all there hanging out. Uh, not a single conservative anywhere was upset or wanted to cancel any of them for all these white people hanging out in Idaho together. But a lot of those people who were around that table were the people appalled at Mark Wahlberg hanging out with Donald Trump. It, it, it's the progressive left cannot abide you and me having a good time. They feel guilty. They're racked with their white guilt and anxiety, and the world is coming to an end. How dare you enjoy life? Now, to be repetitive intentionally on a point that I make repeatedly, you know, that's kind of a a way to win people to our side by not being like them by not being the angry brain biblical donkeys, by by not being the, the anxious rabble rousers of the left, by not being so hating, so loathing, so condemnatory, so ungrateful, so racked with white guilt. I mean, these people are miserable, absolutely miserable. They're angry at you because you're not miserable, and they don't want you to have a good time in life. They, they, they don't like the fact that you enjoy your life. They want you to eat bugs, sweat, and hopefully die and not leave a big carbon footprint so that they can enjoy their private jets. All you got to do is keep being you. doesn't mean you got to be a jerk about it. It doesn't mean you have to be in their face about it. I saw somebody on Twitter the other day. I got to hang on a second. I, I got to read you this Twitter bio a friend of mine sent me, and it, it's so disappointing this is, the, this is how the guy describes himself. If you are offended by swearing, then here are my pronouns. Go F yourself. Matthew 12.25. Matthew 12.25. That, that's how he put it. Uh, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. You're going to quote Jesus and tell people to go F yourself on your Twitter bio probably we shouldn't be like the other side come on people come on he's got the courage to tell you the truth because the truth is what matters you're listening to the eric erickson show all right welcome it is with the final half hour of the day, and I'm going to take you down a legal rabbit hole on the Chevron Doctrine. This is actually going to be a big deal next year, and you're probably going to see progressives melt down about the Supreme Court again. In fact, I would argue that a lot of the roughhousing that's now going on against the Supreme Court has a lot to do with Looper Bright. Looper Bright is a case or maybe Loper Bright uh, Enterprises versus Riamondo. So here's what happened. Uh, during the Obama years, the Commerce Department was putting uh, inspectors on boats that would go out to sea to go fishing, on the fishing boats, uh, going out of Maine and the like. And uh, they would do this, and this is a New Jersey herring fisherman. Uh, they, they would put these inspectors on the boats to make sure the fishermen were doing their job, uh, maintaining uh, catches, throwing back small fish, being good for the environment. Essentially, it was a monitor who had to be on the boat 
when they went fishing for commercial fishing, and uh, they could get fined. These guys observed everything they did to make sure they were doing their job. Well, the Commerce Department ran out of money for the inspectors to be on the boats. So the Commerce Department made the fishermen start paying 20% of their earnings to pay for the at-sea monitors on their boats. This is the Commerce Department. Now, here's the tragedy is that when Donald Trump became president, his Commerce Secretary affirmed the decision, and they ratified the rule. They made it went from temporary to permanent. Yes, Donald Trump's administration did this. And the Biden administration has continued it. Now, part of the problem here is that the big commercial fisheries of America get exemptions. They have lobbyists and lawyers who are able to navigate exemptions for major corporations. If you're the individual fisherman with your individual boats, you can't get the exemptions that the corporations can get. And so you, the individual fisherman, have to pay for the monitors. It's absurd, isn't it? This is a David versus Goliath story. And this gets to my point how the Goliaths of the world now surround themselves with lobbyists and lawyers and give political donations so that the Davids can never even slay them. These small fishermen can't compete against the big guys. They literally have to pay the government for a monitor to be on the boat with them when they go fishing. The Obama administration started it, the Trump administration finalized it, and the Biden administration is ruthlessly carrying it out. So a lawsuit was filed, Uber Bright versus Riamondo, Riamondo being the Commerce Secretary for Biden. It's made it to the Supreme Court, and the fishermen have hired Paul Clement. Paul Clement was the Solicitor General for a while for George W. Bush. Uh, he's a noted lawyer. He's been suggested for the Supreme Court in the past, uh, and he's working with the Cause of Action Institute to bring this case. Paul Clement, you will note, was at a big Washington law firm, and they uh, chased him out of the law firm because he was involved in a number of conservative cases before the Supreme Court, including the Second Amendment cases and um, the, the pro-life case Dobbs. And so he was chased out of his law firm, if I remember right. Uh, he was one of the ones that did it. So this is all about the Chevron Doctrine. What is the Chevron Doctrine? The Chevron Doctrine holds that courts have to defer to administrative agencies when they interpret ambiguous rules of law. So when Congress badly writes a law that gives an administrative agency power, the Supreme Court says the courts have to honor the interpretation of the administrative agency that is interpreting the congressional law that's poorly written in order to give the administrative agency more power. You got that? The agencies always interpret ambiguous statutes to give themselves more power. In 1984... Conservatives considered it a win because it freed Reagan-era agencies from the overweening activist rulings of liberal judges in the D.C. Circuit. It was a big win for conservatives at the time. But it's inconsistent with the constitutional system because it's the courts who are responsible for saying what the law is. And the courts were abdicating their responsibility to agencies because Congress was abdicating its responsibility to write laws clearly. And the rule has bred all sorts of exceptions. There are way too many exceptions to Chevron Doctrine. So when I was in, in law school, your first year, your first half of the year, your first semester is about common law. Essentially, a lot of the American laws we have are derived from English common law from back in the 15, 16, 1700s. Uh, we took those laws. We put them in statutory form. 
Well, your second half of the year involves actual learning to read statutes, not just learning the common law from reading court cases. You have to learn to read the statutes, and part of that is a statutory law class where you have to learn to read statutes. And the general presumption is you read a statute, and if it's clear on its face, you have to do what it says. If it's unclear, then you have to look to agency rules. How do the agencies interpret uh, the the Uh, things that are unclear. If a statute is clear in one part and unclear in another part, you try to use the clear part to interpret the unclear part. There are all sorts of rules on statutory law. And then there are all sorts of exceptions to those rules as well. What happened here is that um, there is no rule from Congress, no law from Congress to require inspectors be on board fishermen's ships. There are rules related to fishing in American waters. What the agency, the Commerce Department, did through one of its sub-agencies was it decided the way to interpret the the law from Congress was to put inspectors on the boats that the Commerce Department would fund. And when the funding ran out of the Commerce budget, they then decided to force it onto the uh, fishermen. But no rule from Congress said you had to put inspectors on boats or had the authority to put inspectors on boats to watch the fishermen fish. And Congress has dragged its feet on fixing the issue because liberals in Congress, the environmentalists in Congress, they are opposed to the fishing anyway. And they don't want to help the fishermen. They want to help the fish. They want to save the fish from the fishermen. So Congress hasn't acted to clarify even though they could. So now this is before the U.S. Supreme Court. And I guarantee you, we are going to see some massive arguments from the left on why the Chevron Doctrine should be preserved. Because what's happened over time is back in the 1980s, the reason this was a win for conservatives is because the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, it's kind of like a mini Supreme Court. Any time the U.S. government is sued, it goes through the D.C. Circuit. And it was filled with liberals from the Johnson administration and the Nixon administration and the Carter administration. And so you get to Ronald Reagan, and it's filled. Nixon put on a lot of liberals on the on the courts. And those judges were interpreting congressional laws to be very, very liberal. So the Supreme Court came up with a Chevron doctrine and said you got to allow the agencies to interpret the rules. And Reagan was president and had staffed conservative warriors inside the agencies. So the rulings became more conservative over time. But in the Clinton administration, the progressives started fighting back. There's a rule within the civil service that when an administration is leaving power, the people who work for that administration can move into comparable jobs within the civil service that are non-political appointed positions. So the political appointees get to stay in the government, in the agencies wherein they work, as civil career servants, not as political appointees. When Bill Clinton left office and George W. Bush became president, a lot of Clinton appointees became career civil servants. And they hung out. And they started drafting the rules and enforcing the rules with a liberal bent, even though Bush was president. And they were career civil servants. So under the Civil Service Act, the president can't fire careerists. He can only fire political appointees. This is one reason Donald Trump has said if he comes back to be president, he's going to change that. He's going to force the issue. Uh, Congress said he can't do it. He's going to argue before the courts that I'm the president. 
I'm in charge of the executive branch. I should be able to hire and fire at will. We'll see what the courts say. I think they should go with him. He is the president. He is in charge of the executive branch. DeSantis, for his part, and uh, Mike Pence and several of the others have said they do the same thing. But this is what's happened. When, when Republicans talk about the deep state, this is what they talk about. These political appointees of the Clinton administration and the Obama administration then became career civil servants who couldn't be fired by the incoming presidential Republican administrations. They've embedded themselves within the apparatus to write the rules. John Dingell was a very long-time ranking member of Congress. He was considered the dean of the House of Representatives. He had been there so long. He was in his 90s. John Dingell once had a very famous quote that you write the statute and you let him win the, write the rule, he's going to win every time. You let him write the rules that interpret the statute or the rules that govern bringing a statute to the floor of the House to be voted on, he would win every time. Progressives have internalized this. You allow them to write the rules in the bureaucratic agency to interpret the statute. Leftism becomes dominant and entrenched within society. And so now you've got to get rid of the Chevron doctrine because we've got this situation where the courts have realized that progressives are interpreting poorly written congressional rules to expand the powers of the agencies beyond what the agency should be allowed to do. And essentially, these executive agencies have become super legislators. And they're unaccountable to anybody. They're unaccountable to the president. They can't be, these civil servants can't be fired. They're not elected. They're, they're not within the legislative apparatus of government, so they're not supposed to write the rules, and yet they do. This is a huge issue. I know it's boring to some, but you, it's this sort of boring minutia that the progressives have understood, and they've internalized, and they've advanced to advance their causes. And we on the right, we've got to fight back on this stuff. So this case is called Looper Bright. It's before the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, a number of great conservative organizations, uh, the Cause of Action Institute, Americans for Prosperity, and others. This isn't an ad for AFP. I've already done that. But they're all involved in advancing this case. And I'm glad. And I hope the Supreme Court does the right thing on this case because this sort of stuff genuinely, genuinely matters. It's small ball, it's kind of esoteric, it's a little boring, but this is how progressives get so much power. You get rid of this, you get rid of the Chevron Doctrine, you get rid of a lot of the power of progressives to interpret rules. But more importantly, it forces Congress to write the laws better. It makes Congress, I mean, so much of what the Supreme Court has done that's getting attacked by the left these days is saying we don't have the power, Congress does, and Congress isn't exercising the power, so we can't do it. And it puts the burden on Congress to either function or not, but that's a choice of the congressman to function or not. So this case needs to move forward. It's called Looper Bright. Keep your eye on it. You're going to hear a lot of belly aching about it from the left. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show, the perfect blend of news, analysis, opinion, and cooking. Yeah, cooking. Want Eric's weekly recipes? They're super delicious. Text recipe to 33777 now. Well, so I've waited until the end of the show because I dealt with a story from the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution yesterday over that teacher. I decided to wait until the end to get into this, but this is a pretty significant media story nationally. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has issued corrections to an investigative story about the University of Georgia football team and fired the reporter who did the piece. And the reporter who did the piece, Alan Judd, has been there for a long time. I want to say like 25 years or something. He's a 
notable reporter. What I find interesting, so let me just give you the, the background here. The, the story alleged that there were um, 11 players who were retained on the football team who were accused of sexual misconduct, but the the reporter, when asked by the University of Georgia to hand over the names of the 11, wouldn't do it. And so the lawyers for the university sent the AJC a letter. They investigated, and um, they said the, the, the claim about the 11 players don't hold up. The precise count of 11 players could not be substantiated under the AJC standards. So they are apologizing to the university and the readers for their errors. In a second error, the article improperly joined two statements of a detective made minutes apart into a single quotation. Connecting the sentences didn't change the meaning of the quote, but the way it was presented to readers failed to meet AJC standards. Judd had been a reporter for nearly 25 years. Now, this is a kind of a big deal that a major news institution in the country would walk away from a story to a degree. They're not walking far away from it, but some. What I find more interesting is kind of the Rorschach test on this of uh, do you see this as the AJC was bullied by powerful interests in the University of Georgia to make corrections, or do you see it as, as the newspaper screwed up? Or maybe it's a little bit of both. I mean, they're coming after – so the University of Georgia, just for perspective, wins back-to-back national college football titles, and suddenly the largest paper in the state comes after the coach – and the team claiming they're harboring uh, men accused credibly of sexual misconduct. Uh, they identify three by name, and the university points out that the characterization doesn't hold up for those three. The newspaper claims there are 11 others, but now can't provide the information about those 11. So they've had to walk it all back. They fired the reporter who's been there for a long time, an award-winning reporter. It, it's just it's an interesting story to be that big of a newspaper – Taking on, I mean, here's the thing. If you're going to take it on, if you're going to take on the University of Georgia football team, when the majority of your state loves the team, and a majority of your subscribers love the team, and many of them have the vanity plates with the the University of Georgia logo. You know how many people you see around the state of Georgia with the UGA tag, the the, the custom license plate, it is it's immense, and they decided to take it on, and they've got an egg on their face because they couldn't dot all their I's and cross all their T's. Now, the here's part of me. Uh, you got a reporter who's there for 25 years, does this story. This comes, these stories start to come after a couple of players were killed uh, with, with somebody who was a, a lady who was associated with the football team. They apparently had been out partying, uh, were driving fast, were in a wreck, and they died. It was a tragedy. And then these stories come out after that, and the paper goes after the the team and after the university. If you're going to kill the king, you got to kill the king. I mean that that's a trite old saying, but here you're going after an institution, and not just any institution, an institution that is beloved in the state, the football team that beat Nick Saban's Alabama, that won a national championship twice. And you're going to take them on with a series of reports about impropriety. My gut tells me the reporter was on to something. A reporter of 25 years at that level doesn't run a story just as a hit job. So there's probably some smoke there, if not fire. But they couldn't dot all the I's and cross all the T's. If you're going after the king, if you're going to kill the king, you got to kill the king. And they didn't. 
They they messed up the story at a basic level. They couldn't account for a key detail, 11 people. Uh, they couldn't name them, identify them, give the information on them. And, well, now the reporter's out of a job and the newspaper's got to apologize. I just, I, this, is, this is a remarkable story to me. But, you know, at the same time, I, I do, you know, I, I had Cong- or Senator Tuberville on here yesterday talking about changes coming to college athletics, particularly to college football programs because of the name, image, likeness stuff. I think we're going to find more scandals coming out of college football over the name, image, likeness stuff. I, I think there's going to be some some wild stories to come out of the next few years about uh, what's going on in college football in particular, more than other college sports. Yeah, You've also got the NCAA uh, increasingly being progressive and liberal out there and allowing boys and girls sports. All of these things are going to come to a head. People don't trust institutions anymore. In this case, the major media institution is now distrusted because of its own work. But colleges and academic institutions, and even now I think football programs, uh, they're not fully trusted either. We're losing basic trust in institutions, and that's why so many conspiracy theories are being fostered out there. These are strange times, and truth is the victim out there. Truth, of course, matters most. Talk to you guys on Monday.